hey, it could go the other way, right? Sugar mamas. You know, I have fine furs from <laughs> my orcish suitors. Right. Breeding Pit in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 62 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're going green and talking about the half-orc. But first, the party goes Rakshasa hunting in the Morning Glory campaign. And later, the drunken master doesn't have a problem, he's just better when he's drinking in the Character Creation Forge. By the way, it's speciesist to say that half orcs are green. I know half orcs could be orange, or brown. Yeah, I'll allow it. They're, they're green in order of the stick. Yeah, yeah, which is really my only source of canon for anything. <laughs> All right, so where are we in the Morning Glory campaign? That's our three-year, eighty-session, fifth-edition D and D game set in Eberron. The party is nearing the end of the campaign. They are now completing the final steps before they try to kill. The Shadow in the Flame, the Fiendish Overlord, Belshazzar. I sure hope so, because we've been recapping it for over a year, so (laughs) (laughs) we only spent three years playing it. Sometimes it takes longer to explain. (laughs) So they have contended with the deck of many things and finally forced their book imp companion, Behemoth, to give up the true name of Nistrum Shadar, the Proctu, the head lieutenant of Belshalor. And now they need to use that true name to force Nistrum to give up the true name of Belshalor so they can stick it in their apparatus that'll make Belshalor mortal. So we can kill Belshalor and save the world save, from his save evil... Save the entire multiverse. Yeah, the multiverse from his evil plot to create a, a, what I'm sure is an idyllic paradise. <laughs> a brand new multiverse. With no gods and no magic. And more importantly, no us or anyone we hold dear. Yeah. So the party being preppers decides that that's exactly what they're going to do. And after resting, spirits themselves away to the wasteland in Zendrick, right outside where they discovered the Book of Wild Darkness in the first place. No collateral damage here. Again, very nice of you guys. Character growth. We invested a whole seventh level spell slot for this. <laughs> I mean, you had to go somewhere. So right, <laughs> you didn't do like right in the middle of Thronehold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not the Avengers. Come on, <laughs> right? <laughs> or Superman, right? Now, the beginning of this session, I knew you guys wanted to set things up, but I just sort of said, "I don't know. What do you do? Like, go for it." Because at this point, you knew Nistrum's abilities, right? He's a high level Rakshasa. He's immune to sixth level spells and lower hey he's a masterful shape changer extremely deceitful he's got a sword that prevents you from healing and reduces your maximum hit points he's got all kinds of crazy spells lots of counter spells he's tough because you fought him before but now you know and it's going to be a surprise some of you had maybe mechanically better ideas about what to do than others (laughs) someone was like let's build a pit and fill it with acid and no so, so you did yeah, you did no, we did you totally did it's on the map you, still yeah I, I mean so in the session you gave us a blank battle map right like a like a chess x wet erase mat yeah handed you guys the markers i said and was like 
where are you? <laughs> like, what's around? Draw the map. What are you doing? Like, your 19th or 20th level? Right. If you need a thing, you have a thing. Yeah. Uh, the thing that we didn't think of was an anti-magic field or uh, silence or, you know, glyphs of warding. You know, also true. None of these useful things. No. <laughs> we decided to dig a pit, fill it with acid, and then construct a flump house. <laughs> it's it. Because Lou decided to turn into a flump. Yeah, yeah, she did. She was like, I'm going to shape change into a flump. Now, she did have reasonings because the flump has advanced telepathy, so it can intercept telepathic communication that's happening around it. Right. And you knew that Nistrum was uh, perhaps using telepathy to to relay his, his information. And we also did not understand that disintegrate would insta-kill her <laughs> instead of turning As her back flump. into her form. Yeah. <laughs> So I would I, not have allowed that. That would have been ridiculous. I think I think had we understood how that rule worked, we probably would have considered not turning into flumps. But <laughs> right. an eighteen HP flump. Yeah. But yes, so had a flump house on the map. Yes. There was some better prep. Uh you knew that the sword dealt necrotic damage, so Kalik made sure that he prepped the fourth level paladin spell aura of life, which gives resistance which gives resistance to necrotic damage. Yeah, we also did some buffing. So um, I know we did some twinned haste mm-hmm. because we had enough sorcerers. Right. <laughs> uh, probably like bless and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, because you knew that all of your spell slots, sixth level and lower, were pretty much useless against him. So well, you may as well use those. Well, no, because any spell slot, third level or higher, was a counter spell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really those first and second level spells that we needed to get through. That's true. All right, so there was the wasteland. You guys were all prepped. You had your apparatus ready to receive whatever it was that Nishram Shadar actually told you was Belshaler's true name. And so then you took turns using his true name to summon him. Right. Enzo Luresh, the subtle herald, we summon you. And you took turns doing that because it took a few times because the more powerful the fiend is, the more they can resist being controlled by their true name. But every time that you spoke his true name, it it hurt. You coughed up a little bit of blood. Someone else's ears bled a little bit. And eventually, he does appear where you direct. Inside a, a pit, pit of acid. acid. <laughs> which, which I believe was then immediately force-caged. <laughs> yes. Emery was, I force-caged him. Right. Classic situation of we didn't have a wizard in the party, so... <laughs> When you're all known spellcasters, right? We only had the spells that we knew. When you're a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. Yep. And <laughs> so. when you're Emery, force cage is your go-to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we'll find out what happened next, next week. So this week, we're talking about how to play and how to run games for half-orcs. Now, a little history. Way back in the day, Papa Tolkien sort of kind of came up with half-orcs. You know, orcs were originally these twisted abominations that Melkor made from elves. But if you recall, Sauron took orcs and then mingled the blood of humans. They bred them with human stock to make the Uruk-hai, who he bred in the pits of Orthanc. They were stronger and, and smarter and hardier than regular orcs. That's not really something you get from like the traditional D&D half-orc any, anymore. Right. But that is their legacy. Yeah. So the traditional D&D half-orc is just human, orc, get it on. Mix them together. Half A little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. Yeah. It's, it's like you're half-elf, but probably a little more aggressive. So 
For those of you who don't like half-orcs, well, guess what? They were a standard race in first edition. No, they, they weren't a PHB race in first edition. The half-orc was introduced in the first edition player's handbook as a player character race. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, did not they're know that. old school. That would have been really handy to know in all those internet forum arguments back during 3rd edition when right. people were so upset about the half-orc. Well, that's because the traditional grognard doesn't really know their history. They know what they grew up playing, and in 2nd edition, they were taken out. Right, they were they were only in skills and powers in 2nd edition. That's right. Yeah. So the half-orc became the brute race, the gnome became the just pissing off the grognard race. 3rd <laughs> edition was a great place to start. Yeah, because they were back to a standard race in 3rd edition. Uh, they got relegated a little bit in 4th edition. They were in PHP 2. I was upset about that. I, I agree. Me I too. I was way late to 4th edition, and I really only read the books. But when I read the PHB and it had this stupid Dragonborn in it and not a Half-Orc, I was a little upset. I agree with you. I'm a big fan of the hybrid races. Half-Elf was in, Half-Orc was not. Right. And then 5th edition, back in the PHB. Along with Dragonborn, which is great. Yeah, totally happy with that. <laughs> happy to have both. It does keep one from getting pigeonholed as the big, weird-looking brute race, right? which right. is nice. Yep. Now, TSR removed them in second edition because they were trying to dial back some of those controversial topics. So, like, they renamed Demons and Devils to Tanarii and Beatazu. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, southern pastors weren't like, Demons and Devils! Because well, this was in the Satanic Panic, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was interesting because Monty Cook talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. when, when we interviewed him a few episodes ago how conservative TSR was as a company, which almost sounds hilarious to think about yeah. now, right? <laughs> but you had this sort of grandfathered in idea that the only reason that a half-orc existed was because of rape, essentially. Yeah, it was, it was basically the spoils of war right. for the orc, right? So if you were playing a half-orc, then you necessarily had to deal with those difficult questions and like those had to come up at the table and you had to like explain it. I think this was lampshaded in an episode of The Order of the Stick, actually. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and, of course, I think we've come to realize now that, like, well, furries kind of proved that, like, people are into everything. Yeah. If orcs actually existed, there would totally be people who, like, had an orc thing. Right. And the orcs would be like, I don't know, am I being exoticized? <laughs> I guess that's okay. I guess I've got into that. <laughs> it's way easier than burning the whole village. <laughs> right? <laughs> They buy me nice things. Right. My axe has never been so sharp. <laughs> or so shiny. Right. Wow. Okay, so as a player, what are some reasons that you might want to play a half-orc? So I love the concept of the misfit in society, mm-hmm. the inherently more feral nature of the orc, uh, sort of trying to fit in to a, a more regimented feudal society. Yeah, this is... a the most traditional way to, to play a half-orc. But it shows up everywhere in all kinds of media. Think about uh, Worf from Star Trek The Next Generation, right? He's sort of dealing with his more feral, quote-unquote feral Klingon heritage, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's got these aggressive tendencies. I'll oh. have to take your word for it. <laughs> okay, well, how about uh, Ben Grimm, The Thing from The Fantastic Four? I do remember that movie. I hate you. <laughs> You're a terrible human being. Uh, yeah, no, no. You're almost as bad as that movie. I'm talking about the Michael Chiklis movie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, no, so the thing, right, big and orange and made of stone, so he mm-hmm. kind of doesn't fit in anymore, and he kind of becomes a circus sideshow. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else can hide their powers and enter public as a normal, non-mutated person, but he can't. 
yeah, like, you know, this guy over here, sure, his bottom half turns into fire, but not all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's just invisible. That's just handy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very useful. Right. <laughs> that guy's Stretch Armstrong. Right. What about Stretchy Guy? Do you know how many ads are on the internet to try and get <laughs> that right. exact ability? That's right. <laughs> And me, I'm big and orange, and yeah, I'm strong, but I was already kind of strong. Yeah, I can't pass, and that's a problem. Right. So as a half-orc, remember, like, it is difficult to fit in traditional societies. You're called a half-orc, not a half-human. Well, you're called whatever you want to be called. Hopefully. Right. Yes. (laughs) It's 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 very progressive of you. Well, if you're not... I self-identify as half-human. I self-identify as human. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't understand. If you have any human blood, you're human. Oh, of course. Right. It's one drop, obviously. Right. The half-orc is also great if you want to play one of those characters that has a foot in two worlds, right? Maybe embraces both cultures that they're a part of. Yeah, I, I like to play the half-orc as raised by orcs, but you are the runt. And then you don't fit into human society when you get there because you're bigger and less civilized than everyone, right? So you, you kind of don't have a home where strength is valued, you're not strong enough. Where refinement is valued, you're not refined. Mm-hmm. But it's also very possible to play in a setting or even just be the kind of character that actually is totally at home in both and actually is sort of revered for their strength in human society and revered for their wisdom or refinement among the orcs. Yeah, it totally depends on the relationship between humans and orcs, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that half-elves are that sort of go-between between roughly allied races. They're just weird elves. Yeah, well... Fair enough. They're also humans, <laughs> if they choose to be. Okay, so this is our uh, typical disclaimer. We're going to be talking about the characteristics of a PC race. But as a player, what you should be thinking with each of these is, are you typical of your race or are you atypical? You may not necessarily fit all of these. You may, in fact, be the opposite of these. But the majority of members of your PC's race fit within these sort of normal NPC confines. Right. So starting from the stat bonuses and the physiology, you get plus two strength. Yeah, you're strong. Right. I think the only ones as strong as you are the Dragonborn and the Mountain Dwarf. Correct. And you get plus one dex. Now this is interesting, right? You're not a lumbering brute. You get plus one dex, which is almost as graceful as an elf and is as graceful as the most graceful human. Right. You are naturally a better acrobat or a better dancer yeah. than any human being. Well, what you what you don't have in the dance is sort of the the natural affinity towards the arts, right? Because you may in, not have a plus one in charisma. Well, right. Or in like prior editions, you didn't have. Uh, you actually had a penalty to intelligence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've gotten rid of stat penalties in fifth edition, but that still kind of that trope plays in where you know orcs aren't smart, or if they're smart they're not learned Mm -hmm. right so you wouldn't appreciate the art of a ballet even though you might be really good at belly dancing which of course is a stereotype you may need to fight against because if you think about it you've also got plus two strength right you're a stronger dancer and every ballet dancer benefits greatly from being very strong right (laughs) (laughs) so you're not only lithe but also very powerful yeah ask anybody who's taken a pole dancing class how strong you need to be you're naturally barishnikov Keep that in mind, right? right? Because the elf may be able to do the hand motions very well or, you know, hit third position properly, but Mm -hmm. they cannot leap like you. Right. So you also get, depending on version, you get dark vision or low light vision. So 
you're at home at night, the darkness is your friend. You are not scared of the things that go bump in the night because you can see them. Mm -hmm. And that might be a bit unnerving for, well, I think it's just humans who don't, who can't see in the dark. Humans and dragonborn, right? And halflings. But, you know, if you think of from a combat perspective, how would half-orcs fight? Well, if you're not hindered by the darkness, you would march at night Mm -hmm. and you would attack at night. And that's when you would make your raids when your human opponents are least aware and least prepared. Obviously fight in the shade. Right. Yeah, I mean, you got plus one deck, so blot out this guy with your arrows. <laughs> Fight in the shit. <laughs> You've got menacing, so you automatically get a proficiency in intimidation. Now, you may not have a high charisma to use it, but it does mean that you know how to use people's perception of you to your advantage. Of course, the question is, do you choose to? It's quite possible that you actually refuse to use intimidate because you don't want to play into that negative stereotype. Yeah, and Intimidate is one of those weird skills where it's as much an indicator of the target as it is of you, Mm -hmm. right? The way it works mechanically is that you roll the skill, but ultimately your effect is is measured by the expectations of your target. You also get Relentless Endurance. So once per day when you would be reduced to zero hit points, you can just be reduced to one. In game, this means that you're really tough to kill and you feel like you've always got to trick up your sleeve. You know, you it makes you likely to try to push yourself beyond your limits because you've found that, you know, time and time again, you actually can get there beyond those limits. Yeah, I like the idea of like the half-orc pit fighter, right? Mm-hmm. Who pulls the robodope. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> he lets himself get knocked down. And then when his opponent turns around to go back to his corner thinking he's won, then you sucker punch him. Yeah. I just closed my eyes, actually. I, I wasn't knocked out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, this can be dangerous, both mechanically and, and you know, in-game, right? You get reduced to one. That is the most vulnerable a PC can be. Right. Because oh. if you take a lot of damage at once, you're at risk of going to negative your t- hit point total and thus actually dying dying. yeah whereas if you just gone to zero if you just stayed down right you probably would have been fine exactly uh you also get savage attacks which is not great for non-melee characters Mm -hmm. but it lets you add an extra die on a critical hit i would contrast this to something like dwarven or elven weapon proficiency where they know how to use specific weapons right they have martial training with particular weapons yeah you don't right but no matter what weapon you're using, whether it's a fist or a broken bottle or a great axe or a rapier, you know where to hit, right? You, When you do hit and hit well, you twist the knife. Yeah. Just sort of naturally. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Or, or it could just be you don't know your own strength, mm-hmm. right? So you're an orc, right? You, you swing as you swing, and it just so happens to do more damage than anyone else. And it's probably something you don't even really understand. Right, because it's not like you're trained. You're not necessarily proficient in more weapons, or you don't have a cultural attachment to your weapon. It's just when I swing at things, they stay down. I like the idea that, like, early in a character's career, they have like they've critted, you know, um, and that'll kill like you know a level one fighter or whatever. But they do that extra die, and it doesn't just kill them; like their head explodes. Right. Yeah. They're just like, oh, oh, God, what? Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about half-orc culture. 
I find the alignment entry for half orcs in the 5e PHB interesting, right? They tend toward chaos. That makes sense as orcs. But the quote is, they're not strongly inclined toward good. What what the hell does that even mean? <laughs> I, I like that. It's like, you know, if there's a normal distribution of alignment and most people end up neutral and there's like, you know, and humans are maybe, or, or halflings are a little skewed towards good and Elves are a little skewed towards good, and half-orcs are a little skewed towards evil. But it doesn't say that. Well, yeah, right? I mean, it's like... Because because there are certainly entries, like in the Monster Manual, that say, uh, tend toward evil. Yeah. Elves say, tend toward good. This says, don't tend toward good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, maybe it is just sort of a, like a gentler way to sort of be like, well... They're not good mm, very much. Yeah. Maybe. If you're good, you're weird. Right. <laughs> Which is probably the thing that I most often subvert. <laughs> I love the good-hearted half-orc. Oh, yeah. When it comes to names, you can basically pick an orc name or a human name. But this is important, I feel, you know, when you're trying to decide how your character feels about themselves and their place in the world, right? First, is the, whichever kind of name they have, is it a given name or is it one they chose themselves? Yeah. And then if it is given, did they then change it to something else? Or have they kept it, and how do they feel about it? Yeah, it would be interesting to play the half-orc with a human name who insists on being called by a human name but then runs into the world that sort of mocks him and doesn't believe him, right? Like like he's the poser human for, right. for having a human name. I, I expected someone else. Right. <laughs> yeah. I must admit, when I got your letter... <laughs> you write so well. Right. <laughs> And this really sort of feeds into what we'll get into a bit later. You know, how does your half-orc feel about their parentage and about their human or orc culture? Lifespan, they mature early, but rarely live past 75 years. That is not a lot of time. Yeah. But, you know, with that resilience, the thing most likely to kill a half-orc, probably time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, assuming you're not, you know, just a regular member of orc society bound to be killed by some adventurer. Right working your way up to war boss right (laughs) of course i mean if you think about it even if if a human is careful and lucky they can make it to 90 even like in like a D &D society right you know especially with like magical healing around but your natural lifespan betrays you like 75 is probably where you're going to top out what if you're a scholar who's like studying there are all these tropes about these uh, wizards who want to like extend their lifespan because like 400 years isn't enough to master a spell yeah yeah and if you're an orc wizard which you totally can be in this edition like you are running out of time you are yeah but you do get an earlier start you mature more quickly like at 14 you're ready to go and i i think the php sort of talks about this uh, sort of like physically mature but like the brain is part of your physiology i like to think that half orcs are actually smarter in school <laughs> Yeah, right around age fifteen or so. Right. They're like, I, I, I get it. Calculus. Can we, can we move on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go to university. All right. Right. You guys are idiots. Yeah. And meanwhile, the elves are just like screwing around in the back of class, blowing spitballs, right. <laughs> <laughs> barely out of diapers. Right. Uh, I mean, speaking of childhood, were you raised by humans or were you raised by orcs? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or was it actually a mixed race household? Right. Were you, were you raised by both? Right. Or is in this setting, is half-orc a true breeding species, right? Are there just lots of half-orcs wandering around, and when two half-orcs have a child, that's a half-orc? Right. And then, you know, what does that childhood look like? In most games, everyone kind of assumes that childhood is a lot 
like human childhood for every race, but half orcs kind of have the license to to be different, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're generally from the less civilized end of the world. So what does orc parentage look like? How do they treat their children? Is it just fend for yourself? And if you make it to six, congratulations, you get a name. And how does being part human affect the traditional orcish way of rearing? Right. Right. Are they tougher on you because they're worried that you're going to be soft? No, I think what it is is that your parents are covering for you. Your your parent, your orc parent, is trying to accommodate you and cover for you. They're coddling you because, like, you can't handle what an orc kid could actually Right, handle. exactly. Uh, and you've got to go prove yourself. I mean, it's a good reason to adventure. Right. When it comes to a religion, <laughs> well, traditionally there's grumpsh. Yeah, and I hate that. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. to have the Racial just, deities. Yeah, just a one evil deity for a race is kind of kind of annoying because it doesn't give you as much that you can play with. Mm-hmm. I would reject that pretty quickly or at least have Grumpsh not be such an inherently evil god, <laughs> you know, or at least only have evil worshipers. Of course, if you're picking another deity, how do other Grumpsh worshipers feel, feel about, about that, you. right? Yeah. Do you feel like you're betraying your culture or, you know, is that sort of like a, a flag that you stuck on the ground and said, no, this this is very important to me? I, I would love for orc shamans of Grumpsh to, to try and hunt you down as a heretic, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> right, an apostate. Look at him. He has two eyes. <laughs> Where? <laughs> to your left. Yeah. <laughs> so let's dig into family ties. So we touched on it with childhood, but how are you raised? Are you raised with an orc tribe? And what is that like? Are you raised in a human tribe? Because, you know, not all humans are civilized, certainly. Or were you actually raised in like a, you know, a human civilization in a city or a town? And what is the reason behind that? You've determined, you know, what your childhood was like. But, of course, you're probably not playing a child PC. So you have the way that things were and the way that that has affected you. But now, as an adult, what are your views on that? Yeah, there's that old tradition, a European tradition, of, of exchanging children mm-hmm. between royal families. That was uh, Urgrim of Martru that I built for uh, Silver Snakes. Oh, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a half-orc uh, barbarian who was uh, traded to uh, Martru to seal the the peace treaty. Right. And then raised as a like a noble fighter. Yeah, I like that idea, too. Just combine both. So, you know, how do you feel about each parent? And in each parent's race, is there is there pride, perhaps? Or sort of the more traditional shame about having an orc parent. Or the opposite, having a human parent. Yeah, actually, yeah, if you're living among the tribes. Uh, then, of co- I mean, there is the parentage problem that uh, of older editions, which can totally be ignored. But if you think about it, having a parentage that is due to rape is a possible RP hook that can work in certain kinds of groups. But if you're going to do it, Definitely check with your entire group before introducing that topic at the table. Yeah, I could see that being not welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I am not interested in like dealing with that at the table. Yeah, the, in fact, I kind of like the idea that the PC like takes such offense at the casual suggestion that like maybe their conception wasn't consensual, right? Because like that's the opinion of like the uneducated masses, right? Yeah. Right. And now I'm going to fight you for it. Oh, yeah. Now it's dual time. Yeah. Was this punch in your face consensual? (laughs) And then romance, uh, which doesn't come up in every game, but it it certainly can. There's the more traditional beauty and the beast, right? Like, oh, oh, like who could love a half orc? I look so strange option. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Which which exists, right? 
Fair enough. <laughs> uh, there's the question of, you know, do you woo a human? What about another orc? Uh, or another half-orc? Is there another half-orc? You know, if they're not a true breeding race uh, and they're not super popular among PCs, it's possible that there won't be another half-orc in the campaign. Yeah. So let's talk about how half-orcs interact with other races. I think in general, what happens is humans view you as an orc. Yeah, I, I think the perspective of the PHB is written from the human perspective, mm -hmm. right? So by calling you a half-orc... In the first place. Right, they're identifying you as not human, right? So you're going to be proving your parentage or defending your parentage, and, and you actually might just be mistaken for an orc. Mm -hmm. Right, so you may just need to defend your life. Right, right. Yeah, from, like, you know, these rubes in this village. Right, exactly. And, and, and that's actually a nice low-level plot hook for an entire party. Yeah. Right, like... You obviously trust the half-orc they're adventuring with you. Uh, these morons who actually are paying you, and you're actually tasked to defend them. That's yep. your job. Want to want to kill them. Right, right. Uh, although I say certainly that becomes less necessary at later levels when either your reputation or honestly like your prowess and all your magic items make uh, those random insults or attacks much less likely. No, see, it's the opposite though. It's like now you have a chance to actually represent such a positive image for your race or a negative image right that you're you're able to change or reinforce those those human perceptions oh yeah but random people aren't going to be coming up and trying to attack you most likely well yeah <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, unless like the racism aspect is like really big really for your BBG. yeah, yeah like, <laughs> it's just right. really good at stirring that pot <laughs> they took our jobs <laughs> we got to build a wall <laughs> It's not funny because it hits too close to home. Yeah. But orcs would see you as a human, mm -hmm. most likely, right? They would see you, like we said earlier, as the weaker of their tribe, as the runt. Mm -hmm. um, they, would, they would see your humanity as your weakness. It's also possible that they see you as sort of one of their own who's lost their way or gone astray. You know, like uh, pity almost. Like, uh, you just can't enjoy the full benefits of orchid right grumsh will never love you as much as he loves me which that's your burden to bear right i mean yeah you're welcome to our spoils of war you're just not welcome to grumsh's glory i'm sorry and of course this is an opportunity then for like if the half orc wants the orc's approval then you know you typically have to prove it right uh, again let's talk about star trek this is basically Worf's arc through both tng and deep space nine he, he has to be this racial ideal he needs to be the perfect klingon right because he was raised by humans and he only really read about klingons in books and so they're like this noble warrior race who you know have like carved out a place among the stars and like honor is so important to them and then he gets there and he realizes that the empire is like decaying from inside yeah <laughs> and there's just corruption everywhere and, and he 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 keeps getting screwed over because he's like no i will do the very honorable thing right right yeah I, I mean you can definitely do that you can also play that as you're as you're working towards that ideal of, of like you want to come and lead the orcs and help them become more civilized right mm -hmm. see the error of their own ways of their their own sort of primitive nature yeah, or maybe if, you're the only one who doesn't have minus two int right <laughs> and and if it's not for all orcs it's at least for your tribe right yeah i think that's actually a fairly common thing that you see in fiction where like the war boss who has had unnatural success is actually a half orc right because they're just a bit brighter yeah exactly they've got just enough scheminess <laughs> right and you know that sort of traditional um human drive to accomplish 
And not just destroy. Yeah. <laughs> well, also destroy. Right. <laughs> I can accomplish more destruction right. if we work together. So how do you interact with other PCs? I think it's likely that this is your... Well, actually, no. I was going to say it's likely that it's your first adventuring party because you don't live forever like an elf. Mm-hmm. But you have relentless endurance. There's actually an excellent chance that you are the last survivor of multiple adventuring companies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do like it as the first adventuring party idea, though, as like, because you're strong or skilled in in whatever way you are, right, you're useful. And Mm -hmm. that means you're worthy of being a friend to these people. And they're probably your only friends, right? They took you in. So you've got loyalty to the group that sort of goes beyond um, the typical orcish sort of brutality and Mm self-interest. I also like at the very early stages maybe like the reason the rogue recruited the half orc in the first place was they thought they could be easily manipulated yeah it's nice to have a big bruiser you can control right actually turns out i know what i'm doing right (laughs) (laughs) it would take a special campaign to pull this off in a game but i love the idea of the the rogue like having invited the half orc fighter into the party you know gets the job done gets out of the dungeon and then goes to shank him in an alley and thinks he's dead and then relentless endurance. Right? It's like, Savage text. Right. <laughs> and then it turns out he crits you as you're unaware. Yeah, right? I, I was just trying to teach you a lesson, but his head exploded. Right. <laughs> I will say, though, that among PCs or an adventuring party, uh, I think the feelings are usually more determined by your class than your race, right? Like, oh, you're a cleric? Good. You should come along with us. Yeah, it's definitely more of a meritocracy than... The broad society so how about other races because we talked a lot about humans and orcs Mm -hmm. but you know orcs have their own sort of enmity with dwarves and elves as well yeah those are kind of the the two big ones you as a half orc my guess is most half orcs don't tend to play out those traditional tropes of like their orc parents hating dwarves and elves but it's very likely that a dwarf or an elf will see you go that's an orc yeah and hate you it's a good chance as a DM to sort of introduce some role-playing complications as you need to, you know, enter the Dwarven Mines to get through that particular mountain range. Yeah, it's probably more interesting if it's NPCs again yeah. handling this. And, you know, it's one thing if it's like a, a bunch of humans and some of them are like, oh, I don't like this monster. But, like, if it is an entire city of dwarves, yeah, <laughs> particularly one that maybe is currently at war right, with, with orcs, orcs yeah. yeah. <laughs> possibly even paying you to carry out missions against orcs yeah and wondering how you can trust him to betray his blood mm-hmm. because you know dwarves would never do that it's, it's not that's it's not in our nature it's not how the clans work right is it in your nature i don't know or i do know right and it is <laughs> yeah and elves would be i think largely the same way they both have that sort of for the same reason that elves and dwarves don't get along, right? Like mm-hmm. they would have the same sort of haughty feelings towards orcs and half orcs. Yeah, elves already are so aloof and might be very reluctant to let a mixed adventuring party sort of like saunter through their tree village, right? You know, even though they like, need advice about some sort of mission, but uh, I'm not really comfortable with you bringing the orc. You mentioned aloofness. I could see elves being so aloof that they sort of start rooting for the half-orc just to show up, <laughs> feeling that he's the lowest member of the party, but then enjoying seeing everyone else taken down a peck. Yeah, the uh, the those trickster elves. 
Right. I also like the idea that an elf NPC and a dwarf NPC hate each other, but are both like, you know who who's awful? That guy. Yeah, yeah. the orc. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Hatred, the glue that does, <laughs> that binds together a good adventure. It works for Legolas and Gimli. So it's, you're not wrong. <laughs> so we talked about this a little bit, but like, what are some of the common reasons a half orc might want to go adventuring? So I, th- I think the biggest one is proving your worth, mm-hmm. right? And that works for whether you're raised in human or an orcish society. As if you're an outsider, you want to prove yourself. Yeah, it works if you've still got living parents or living family members. It works if you're an orphan. I also like the idea of you're you're trying to put your gifts to use. Mm-hmm. You recognize that you have strength that humans don't, and you want to do some good with that and, and change the perception of all half-orcs. I also like the outlander background mm-hmm. as a as a wanderer type character for the half orc. So you were cast out by your tribe, maybe because you were unwilling to participate in some of the more brutal aspects of society, mm-hmm. and and you're just looking for a home, right? Just trying to share a safe space. Yeah. Or maybe childhood was fun, but you just don't feel totally at home among orcs. You don't feel totally at home among humans. You just feel like no place is really home. Yeah. So one place is as good as any other. Or you might feel without a home, right? That maybe there's some greater ideal that drives you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a physical place that you're looking for. It's kind of more of a state of being. Yeah, the dwarves are like, oh, what's for the best of the clan? But I think what is best for the world? Because really, no part of the world is really doing so great for me. So. <laughs> I'll help it in the abstract. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about the natural class options for half-orc. Well, with the mechanical abilities you have, basically it's all of the melee weapon using classes. Definitely. But you're particularly good at things like fighter, which benefits both from your strength and your dexterity. Yeah, and you get some nice uh, survivability options there. Yeah, which don't contend with your relentless endurance. They just sort of stack on top of it. Yeah. One of the problems, as you mentioned, with relentless endurance is that you're at one HP, which Mm -hmm. is not a good place to be in. But with second wind, Mm -hmm. you can quickly regain a bunch of hit points right Right. and of course with multiple attacks from the fighter there's more chances to crit and if you take champion which we've done i think in at least several character creation forges you're even more likely to crit and like pop out that savage attack right and then you're throwing all the great weapon Mm -hmm. boosting abilities right great weapon fighter and and great weapon master right it's the one thing i don't really like about the dex boost is that it's really hard to give up that plus two strength and then use like a finesse weapon. Yeah. Yeah. But the strength is still useful for initiating grapples. Yeah. So barbarian, I think is also a supernatural fit and any one of the barbarians will work, Mm -hmm. whether it's the totem barbarian where, you know, maybe you spent some more time in orc society and then sort of following the traditions of your tribe, whether it's the frenzy barbarian where it's just giving into bloodlust or, even the Battle Rager. Yeah, you're going to need DM permission on this, but with a good backstory, a good DM will let you. Yeah, maybe instead of being taken in by humans, you were taken in by a dwarf. Yeah. Took I, pity on you, poor half-orc child. Think about it. The The axe idiot is probably the most likely dwarf to overlook the orc heritage, either because they're like, ah, it doesn't matter, or because they just didn't notice. Right, yeah. Like, I thought it was a tiny human. <laughs> I, l- I love that idea of like, it was making noise, so we brought it back. <laughs> Lest the wolves eat it. <laughs> Why is it green? I don't know. I'm sometimes green. Right. <laughs> Whatever is here now, we might as well raise it. 
And that's the thing, because as a half-orc, you can probably handle the general neglect of a childhood raised by drunken dwarves. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drink this. What is it? Oh. <laughs> the rogue also works. I think the half-orc rogue is a super flavorful option, yeah. especially for the half-orc that was raised in human society, mm-hmm. but maybe in the the lower rungs of society, right? If, if you came from the flea bottom of the city... Uh, you probably had to steal to get by, that kind of thing. Yeah, it fits well with the thug archetype right. uh, as opposed to like the assassin archetype. Yep. It's usually a, a rogue that has more strength. You have that dex bonus, so you can still use the finesse weapons. But in a pinch, if you need to pick up a long sword or an axe or something and like really like dish it out, you can. Yeah. The swashbuckler. I mean, yeah. who doesn't want a charming half work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ranger also makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Not so much from the traditional flavor of like the aragorn ranger where where ranger is a training but very much from the attunement to nature that sort of primeval awareness aspect yeah in emberon for example half orcs are uh, often druids and i think ranger sort of really gives that same kind of flavor yeah also with the dex bonus they make good monks yeah which, because monks are almost always up close melee fighters, and one of the problems with the monk is that if they get hit, they're easier to put down. Like, the monk is supposed to avoid getting hit. Right. Yeah, and then the other thing with the monk is your damage die scales on your hits, and you're you're kind of a crit fisher anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the extra damage die from Savage Attacker is actually really handy as a monk. Yeah, on those four attacks. Right. Yeah. And, and when you're making them with, you know, D10s and D12s. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, if you were a wanderer or an outlander or someone who just doesn't fit, the monastery is probably a place you're going to end up eventually. A monastery probably won't turn you down. Yeah. Paladin is also interesting. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. The, the paladin of Grumsh. Right? <laughs> or just, you know, the opposite, right? The orcish paladin who's like, no, no, I will be a shining beacon of what orcs could be if we put our powers to good. You seem less enamored of that. I, well, no, I, I do. I just, so the the leap for me there is how do you get your first set of armor? That's sort of the question that doesn't come up for the paladin, but there's kind of this implied um, network of support behind the paladin that, that gets you started. Well, do you start with full plate? I don't think so. Well, right. No, I mean, of course you don't, you don't actually start with it, right? But just sort of the flavor of the paladin, right? Is it's not, it's not a lone wolf. It's a, it's an order. Right. Well, then uh, maybe for the first few levels, you're kind of a dirty paladin. Dirty vengeance paladin. Ooh, I, I like that. I mean, the vengeance paladin makes a lot of sense for a half orc. Mm. You got a lot of things to be upset about, and that's another way to channel that barbarian rage kind of uh, theme into a different mechanical set. Mm-hmm. So your divine smites are less divine power and more internal raging power. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, I was so angry, my sword started glowing. Right. <laughs> Which I think that's just how Dragon Ball Z works, right? <laughs> I don't know. No nerd <laughs> He got so angry, he went blonde. Right. <laughs> so in general, in combat, you're almost always going to be melee-based. You don't have to be. You're just really sort of directed that way. It's one thing I don't really like about some of the mechanics of the half-orc in 5th edition. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're going to be comfortable in medium armor because you've got that dex boost. So yeah, it's nice for barbarian and because, ranger because it's only a plus one. You're not going to worry about wasting a dex bonus right. by having armor too high. 
but you're likely to be that frontline tank because you can both dish it out and take it. But remember that you do have a dex bonus. So if you do want to do something like archery or, or ranged attacks, that is doable. In fact, it's it's just as viable for you as uh, any other uh, race that doesn't have that plus two dex, which is basically just elves, halflings, and gnomes. But think no, of elves how, and halflings. Think of how orc society is going to see you. Sure, yeah, yeah. If you're unwilling to wade into melee combat and you you fight like a coward from afar. You fight like a human. You've got that plus two strength, so I like the idea that, yeah, you fight like a human until they like think you can't handle yourself up close, right. and then you just pull out the longsword and cut their head off. Yeah, charge me. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> See what happens. Uh, I, pick a, I pick a pike, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Skills-wise, you've got dex and strength, so you've got the mobility skills, the things that help you move around combat or, or terrain. Yeah, so athletics and acrobatics are natural ones for you. Mm-hmm. If you're the underhanded sort, right, you've got your stealth, sleight of hand. You've got that proficiency in intimidation. It's up to you if you use it. And then every time we do one of these race profiles, we talk about magic items that work for them. But half-orcs are really the victim of old biases because I don't think I've ever seen a magic item in any version of D&D that was specifically built for a half-orc. I can't remember anything in a core version. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something somewhere in some module. Right. But, like, certainly nothing that with a name that someone would remember. Yeah, I would love to know what the artifact Eye of Grumpsh does. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that is, that is a gap. But I, I would think that something like a vicious weapon or even like a vorpal sword, something like that, mm-hmm. even though it's a sword and not an axe, but axes that were taken from dwarves, mm-hmm. right? Those are the kind of things that orcs would tend towards and and half orcs would tend towards so anything that might be a spoil of war would be a good magic item for a half orc Mm -hmm. or it could be something that assuages the issues that a particular half orc feels about how they fit in the world so it could be for example you know a cloak that gives you a charisma bonus you know makes you more attractive i like the idea of like a charisma 20 half orc who is still a half orc still has like visible fangs but is just super hot just too cute just everybody's like i mean they're not attractive for a half work <laughs> they're attractive and a half work <laughs> right <laughs> so i uh i did play a half work in a 5e campaign uh that was a barbarian that became a paladin and uh we did little bitmap type art mm. for each of the characters and mine just had these really small little fangs and it was like the cutest half work <laughs> <laughs> It's basically a kitten. That's what 13 Charisma gets you. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's interesting. I was going to follow up that story with a story of a half-orc character that I played, but I actually can't think of one. And that's sort of strange to me because I love the concept of a half-orc. You know, half-orcs and half-elves, I I have always really liked uh, that they're in the game and that that's a, a valid archetype to play, you know, one foot in two worlds. I think it's because I started tail end of second edition and then, you know, third edition. And in third edition, they had the intelligence penalty. Yeah. And I never wanted to limit my RP choices by having an intelligence that was lower. Right. So I always avoided half orcs in general. And always it was like, why why does there need to be an intelligence penalty? This is dumb. Yeah, I could see that. And then, of course, now that they're in in fifth edition, well, fourth edition as well, like they're just always pushed toward melee. And... When I play melee characters, I think I, I usually want to play against type. You know, like an elf who is a melee character. 
but like the the melee half work just seems sort of like yeah you know of course you're gonna do that although but paladin paladin i like the idea of that so oh, when yeah. i built i didn't play urgrim of martru but i built him and i built him with the option of eventually going paladin because we built him at level three right and it was barb one fighter two but i made sure he had a charisma of at least 13 mm-hmm. uh so i think his his arc would probably lead him toward paladin simply yeah. because he was all about the honor i love the half work as the hero you know it's just yeah. the traditional hero because mm-hmm. you still get all the drama of you're not supposed to be the hero you're supposed to be all these other things and so it doesn't feel vanilla i feel like when you're the human who just wants to save the world it's like all right we've heard that story before yeah, every human wants to save the world right but the half orc who wants to save the world mm-hmm. that guy's going against type but yeah. still really party friendly yeah i think we both really like the unlikely hero yeah all right do you hear that ishan is that the wardrobe of an encroaching orc horde or, or am I showing my am I showing my bias? Uh, either way, if there's an orc horde that might show up, I think it's time to move on to the character creation forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M U N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. Okay, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Drunken Master. Not a natural fit for the half-orc, but one that I don't think a half-orc will decline. Yeah, works perfectly fine. We actually had a request on Twitter for this. We came up with two separate builds and kind of combined them a little bit. So... What is The Drunken Master? Well, it's a Jackie Chan movie. Yeah, The Legend of the Drunken Master. Uh, There are multiples. Oh, of course it's a series. It's a Jackie (laughs) Chan movie. Yeah. It's a martial artist who is usually sort of a typical martial artist, but becomes so much better, becomes a transcendent martial artist when they are completely drunk. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not like you're dialed into the martial arts and you're just faster, stronger, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you have this like ability to use anything as a weapon right mm-hmm. and it's like kind of jackie chan's thing anyway but you know it's like everything becomes a weapon when you're drinking right right you're and like the barroom brawl becomes your masterpiece of violence <laughs> and you're better at everything to do with the martial arts you dodge blows not because you are faster or more skilled you just happen to be swaying in that direction yeah exactly <laughs> or, or you know it's not that you're uh particularly stronger it's just that you happen to be punching them with a beer mug in your hand you know that kind of thing the traditional idea behind the drunken master is that your movements become unpredictable especially if you have two practitioners of the art who are are skilled you can tell what the other person's going to do because it's what you would do but when they're drunk yeah the the training goes out the window and it's all (laughs) instinct all right so what's the build open hand monk 14 that's your classic martial artist Fighter 3, Barbarian 3. So I can see where Fighter comes in because we want some of those Battlemaster tricks, right? Right, because those tricks are, and, and flavor those entirely as using the, the terrain and the environment around you, yeah, right? Absolutely. So your tripping attack is like knocking them over a chair. Yeah, right? evasive footwork, that maneuver is not you like carefully moving across the battlefield. That's a stumble. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a drunken lurch. <laughs> And Barbarian is in there, obviously for rages, but 
we're not using rage as sort of the traditional like I'm getting so angry and now like my skin is tough, right? This is as in the movie, I'm going to take an entire bottle of hard liquor, knock it back as a bonus action. And now I'm so drunk that if I do get hit, it just hurts less. Right. Or I get hit less and I hit harder just because I happen to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so this will be totem barbarian. So you'll be uh, bear. Re- res- right. Yeah. Barbarian. And resistant to all damage except psychic, which makes sense because that's like. You know how like when you get in an argument with somebody who's really drunk and they're really insistent? Yeah. But if you cut them, you cut them deep. Or <laughs> <laughs> they start weeping. Right. <laughs> it's probably why they wake up with a headache as well. Exactly. <laughs> psychic damage. Right. Yeah. If they, uh, if, they, if they weren't vulnerable to psychic damage, then how would they have hangovers? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Maybe it's bludgeoning. <laughs> My head is pounding. <laughs> I also think if you can fit in a, a feat... I would take something like Magic Initiate for Druid or Cleric because you're going to have a high wisdom. And then you can take Produce Flame or Sacred Flame and, you know, just work with your DM and make the material components for those be like Hard Liquor or Spirits or something. Yeah. Right. That gives you the opportunity to, you know, spit some fire after you and imbibe a a bit of booze. Yeah, that's a cool flavor ability. So, Shane, what's the backstory for your Drunken Master? Well, my drunken master began life, like most monks, in a monastery, was sent out, as all monks from the monastery are. When he got to the real world, beyond the peaceful confines, he found that it was just much worse than he had been led to believe. (laughs) So he did some adventuring. He did what he could, right? He tried to live the life that he was expected to, to to grow as, as a martial artist, as taught by his monastery, by his order. And that just just disillusioned him. So around level six, he started to drink. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> Once he had magic fists. Well, yeah, magic fists and extra attack, <laughs> he started to drink. And, and so it, that became his crutch, right? That was his way of coping with the fact that the world is not like he was led to believe it would be, right? That his skills weren't always used for good. They weren't always used to advance an ideal. Sometimes survival was more important than ideology and those sorts of things. And, and that was really disillusioning to probably a young half-orc who is also facing the racial discrimination inherent in human society that has named him a half-orc. So now he drinks. And fights. <laughs> really well <laughs> sounds like they might be going to live with their orc family soon uh no that's way too chaotic for that yeah there's <laughs> there is no structure there it's, he was raised in a monastery Ishin. he needs structure <laughs> aa meetings right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what's your backstory uh naturally i'm going in the opposite direction because there are only two directions for us to go yeah the direction much. and the opposite <laughs> She began as a fighter and a barbarian, right? Like using her rage, her anger at the world to fuel her combat abilities, mm-hmm. right? To take punishment and to dish it out because other people deserve it. Right. But after a while, it, the bloodlust wasn't sated at the end of the combat. And so, of course, she turned to other ways to handle it to the bottle and found that it wasn't good for her. And eventually she had to crawl her way out by going to a monastery, finding a better path. You know, she still has these abilities right. that, that she learned like fighting on the street and in the pit. 
but now she has learned to channel those abilities into a more calm and centered way of thinking. But the allure of the bottle never goes away. Right. Now it's a tool, though. Now, now she controls it, <laughs> it and can, not the other way around. It can become a tool. Right. <laughs> and the, perhaps the first time it began as an accident. Right. You know, she drank something and didn't know what exactly what it was because it had been so long, so many years. And yet, wow, was she good at successfully defending the monastery. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, the other people in the monastery, the, the guardian said, well, maybe you shouldn't never do that again. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe just in times of great need. Yeah. And I so th- for the greater good. Well, of course, yes. yeah, yes. of the monastery anyway. Of course. The challenge of that one is because you've got Fighter 3, Barbarian 3, you've you've probably got to be a two-weapon fighter to make the damage work when you hit level 5, right? As you switch tiers of play, you're you're going to be level 11. Well, if you're before. half-orc, you could just be using strength weapons. You start with a good, decent strength and a decent dex, and then you switch over to dex. Yeah, but you want the extra attacks. So you're, so you're at least making two attacks and throwing on your. your oh, base. I see. I was just yeah. saying, yeah, yeah. just because mm-hmm. one attack per round at level ten is going to be tough. So it, yeah. does, it does limit your options a little bit in how you build it. But I, I think that could totally work. Or start at higher level. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we've got a new five-star review. This one is from Game Master Matt Ray. It's titled, Invaluable Info Presented in an Entertaining and Succinct Format. A group of friends and I just started our foray into the wonderful world of RPGs this spring, starting a Pathfinder campaign. None of us had any experience, but since someone had to be the DM, GM in Pathfinder lingo, I volunteered. Good for you. Listening to this podcast has boosted my confidence and made me more eager to keep playing. Consider me hooked on the podcast and this hobby. Great podcast. High production value and the rapport between the speakers is top notch. I've almost finished listening to all the back episodes. Keep them coming. Cheers. Thanks, Matt. You too can have higher confidence if you listen to Total Party Thrill. Like that stretchy guy. The Enzyme commercial. (laughs) All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about completing character arcs. And in the character creation forge? We're building Swamp Thing. Well, that's it for episode 62 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Dave got Enzite. Dave is walking around with a little more pep in his step. Thanks to Enzite and Total Party Thrill. Pep in your step, not guaranteed. All natural GM enhancement. (laughs) Game Master, not genetic modification. Right.